perfect. L- let's talk about King Knight. All right. So King Knight yes. by Ricky Bates Jr. was a delight for me. How'd you feel about it, Rabia? I freaking like this so much. I, I did not know what to expect going into it because I tried to go in blind in, in these kind of movies and I was like, okay, it's something a little bit LA-ish. Is it going to be about vegans? And it was like <laughs> a vegan cult or something like that. Yeah, and I mean, it wasn't yeah. far off and I swear there were moments in there to just, oh, we'll get into it in a bit, but oh, I really liked it has its moments all overall and it's definitely a comedy movie oh yeah i described it as sort of a coven comedy about outcasts who are not really outcasts at all uh and just this this lovable community of people you typically see in any movie these people as the outsiders as the outcasts And in this film, I just absolutely adored the fact that it is, in fact, the quote-unquote normies who are the outcasts. (laughs) And it's basically like satire on cuddly edgelords. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what it felt like for me. Like, if you would take that under the loop, indeed, and like it make them the normal or the base and then flip the script. Yeah. I really enjoyed so much about the way that it portrayed the traditions of witchcraft. Mm-hmm. And I, I talked a little bit about that in my interview with Ricky Bates, mm-hmm. but I really feel like it was so important how touching and hilarious things were at the same time in terms of talking about the dichotomy between how you want to express yourself versus what the reality itself actually yeah, is. Yeah, definitely. And it's, I'm, I'm a practicing witch myself. It's interesting how they show different ways of how those dynamics can be and how there's not per se a template of what a witch looks like or acts or thinks or there's not always spiritualism attached to it. So that was an interesting take. They they put some education in there along with the laughs. They did. And I really appreciated that. So like educating you about the traditions Mm -hmm. and about what exactly Beltane is. (laughs) The parody of the Beltane traditions, in a sense, was was just so warm and lovely. Definitely. Definitely. I I don't know if we can go into spoilers. Can we? I think we We can. can. There is a moment. So it's it's. Two main characters. Well, yeah, the, the the high priest and high priestess, the main couple. So there's Matthew Gray Gubler, yes. who is the main character, Thorn, yes. and Angela Sarafian, who is Willow. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And their chemistry, first of all, is amazing. I loved her because even in her moments of like complete emotional outburst, she was still so calm and so laid back and so LA in her responses. And then <laughs> when she finds out, so th- we get teased that there's something all going on with the, with Thorn, the main character, and he's hiding something from his wife. And once she finds out what it is, and it's not an affair, but she finds out that he was class president. And prom, and prom king. king. But then on top of that, she 
she goes like, oh, my God, you must have been athletic. What did you play? And then you're like, oh, my God, he's not going to say lacrosse, is he? Or like hockey or anything like super white, like cardigan wearing, you know, white picket fence type of normie. And yes, he turns around and he goes like lacrosse and her. She just, oh, as if he's telling her that he used to be a Nazi or something of the sort. Her reaction is just <laughs> a pure gold. It's amazing. And again, we're talking about him confessing that he was a normie once. And it's, uh, they play in those comedy moments so well. They do. And the whole idea of it as sort of his own mystic quest for self-acceptance mm-hmm. is just, so beautiful for really looking at any community as being your family, your adopted family. And it's funny because most of Ricky Bates's films Mm -hmm. are very cynical and laced with darkness. Mm -hmm. But in this one, it gives you the warm fuzzies (laughs) and it's it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It is. It is. What, was there any particular moment for you that stood out, either comedy-wise or maybe in, during his walkabout or with the an interaction of the rest of the coven? Well, the walkabout with the pine yes. cone and the stone <laughs> that are advising him was particularly brilliant. Mm-hmm. One of the things that really got to me was the animation. I thought the animation sequences were particularly brilliant. Yeah. The sort of phantasmagoria of the sequences of the Skull King and Merlin and, you know, all of, all of these pieces just felt mm-hmm. so beautiful the way that they were put together yes. and almost like a psychedelic and more culturally interesting Terry Gilliam mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yes. Almost the way that they were incorporated into the script of the mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated that aspect. Definitely. I liked the Terry Gilliam reference. I had not even looked at it that way, but he just goes on this wild ride, drug induced. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it does bring him <laughs> to some spiritual clarity. Another fun thing in this movie is the very short, but very poignant little cameo of Barbara Crampton, who's a horror legend. Yes, yes. How do you feel about seeing her on the screen in this context, especially? In this context, this was brilliant. I was a fan of seeing her on Creepshow Mm -hmm. as the racist landlady (laughs) on Creepshow as well. Because seeing Barbara Crampton as not the hero of her own story is actually quite lovely, Mm -hmm. too, because she plays those angles so well. And seeing her kind of coming into a renaissance of different kinds of roles for her, I think, is is exceptionally wonderful. Not that she should always have to play a mother Mm -hmm. or a landlady or... Or wife of a pastor who turns into a vampire. Or the wife of a (laughs) pastor who turns into a vampire, you know, like you do. Like you do. But I feel like she's she's really reaching this point where she's really biting into some very juicy roles here. And she's bringing everything. She's lifting everything about the production up as she yeah, does it. Yeah, so. no, true, true. She's a true asset to things. And even, you know, how big or small her role is. I especially also like that little reveal towards the end with her mother, a.k.a. Yes. the grandmother of Thornton or Thorn. 
um, throughout the movie, um, every section of the story is split up with the laying of tarot cards. And you see that it's an elder lady's hands laying them down and they all pertain to that particular scene or arc that we're seeing at after those cards have been laid down. But then at the end, it is revealed that it's Thorne's interest in all of this and his current his current choices to be part of a coven and this particular type of witchery uh, stems all the way back from his grandmother because she is the one laying down the tarot cards, even though her daughter has chosen to be like a super religious, you know, nut. <laughs> basically an enormity so there were roots yeah. of this already in his bloodline basically before it got cut off and him being shoved into this normie uh, in this square hole uh, of being yeah and i loved the way that that was in the encapsulating portion yes. of it so that you have this chosen family but then the literal family as well and seeing the relationships as they play out in terms of seeing Barbara Crampton's character a little differently, but also seeing the grandmother as this wonderful force in his life that has been sort of stepping through the tarot with him all along throughout the yeah. film. And I, I absolutely adored that. And that was really where I was like, oh, this is, this is heartwarming. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, and I don't normally like heartwarming movies. <laughs> it's very much not my genre, yeah. but I I absolutely adored this movie for the way that it portrayed so many different things. It did it all in such a nice and organic way that, you know, none of the laughs were forced, none of the situations they were funny in in a forced way but not in a forced way as in like oh we're gonna point this out in such a way to sound clever it was more like oh we're setting this up and yes you're getting what you think you're getting but it's yeah. in the best way possible absolutely and there was a lot of representation there was a lot of representation that was phenomenal yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised for a movie that had a white man on the cover <laughs> of it <laughs> i mean and, and it was done again so brilliantly and and all right so our nutshell review for our listeners is we love it it's heartwarming but in a good way it brings a perspective of how it feels to to look at the normies and then discover there might be normies among us it's a comedy but it has all the makings of a cult movie I think that's brilliant. And I would also say it's just lovely comedy that hits both the sardonic notes and the satire, but it also hits your heartstrings at the same time. And I just, I, I think there's a lot to recommend it to anyone, whether you are a genre person or not. It doesn't even matter because it's really ultimately just about the definition of what family mm -hmm. is and what it is to be true to yourself definitely definitely i agree with that all right i'm fascinated by your film so 
you are the director of King Knight, I assume you know already, which centers witchcraft at the base of it. And I wondered how you decided to create a story that specifically looks at outcasts as a completely separate entity and decides to center specifically on witchcraft and looking at the rest of the world as being the outsider status. Let's see how it started. It began, you know, with everything going on sort of politically and socially after I finished my last movie, things were so ominous. The idea was, um, I'm going to write a movie uh, to make myself happy that will hopefully make other people happy. And I just gotten pitched a witch movie, like a director for hire thing, which I've, I've always made sure not to do. Because, um, and, and it was a, a movie about an evil witch. And I sort of, I was trying to think, like, what would I do with this that would be me? And then I, I realized, like, if I did a witch movie, they're the protagonist. There's no way I would make an evil witch movie. So it sort of started from there. And then, you know, half my library of books are on Wicca and witchcraft and all that stuff. And I have tons of friends that are witches. So I knew that if I was writing a comedy about a, a coven, it would come from a place of love, right? It's kind of that 90s John Waters uh, technique with like movies like Pecker and whatnot. You know, it can be provocative and, and silly and perverse, but there's sweetness to it, right? So after I finished writing it, and I, uh, most of my movies were fairly, it would be an understatement to say fairly cynical. Um, <laughs> so I tried to strip this like completely of cynicism uh, in every way shape and form and then i had my a few of my friends who are witches read it and you know just to make sure that it was funny to them without feeling inconsiderate and then once that it all ended up passing a muster the the whole idea was was to just show witches as regular normal characters that you know in in one of my comedies you know they all take place in like a heightened version of reality Every movie I've made, this one's uh, a little farcical, but the you know the underlying message, that no matter what our religion is or or who we are, that you know we're all searching for the same answers to the same questions, made this the movie like really worth making to me. So that's kind of that's kind of what happened, and and, uh, and and in order to do that, and again, sort of the uh, uh, John Waters technique, right, is is never to preach. So I'm not going to make the witches uh, treat them with like pure reverence or be holier than thou. Like I, I'm hoping that if I just treat them as human beings, like they are, uh, hopefully people will be more open to being won over by the end, and, and then hopefully changing any sort of preconceived notions. You know, I mean, I grew up in the South with a very idea of witchcraft is is you know evil to people. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm located in Virginia, so I'm also in the South in an area where that's very much the prevalent notion and. I've been a teacher in classrooms for 16 years, and I'm very used to having parents refuse to let their children consume anything related to Harry Potter or anything deemed Harry Potter adjacent for the same reason. Got a, so it's got a, a big anti-Harry Potter uncle. <laughs> yeah. I own a Christian bookstore, like a Southern Baptist bookstore. <laughs> but it, it's so interesting, though, to watch your film, which is actually very educational in terms of its approach to things, like educating people about the traditions and so forth. And I, I really enjoyed that piece of it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. That was an important part, right? Showing the, you know, the rituals that, that are that every religion sort of has, you know what I mean? And, and those were little aspects that I was trying to kind of ground. Mm-hmm. 
And I think it came through beautifully. And I thought it was really incredible, too, that you were able to maintain this lovely tone with a large cast of characters. And I also wondered about how you went about casting the film and coming up with such a perfect ensemble for the coven itself. Well, so that's, that was the cool thing about it, right? So when I finished, you know, I, it's not my first rodeo. And when I finished writing it, I, I knew there's no way I'm getting this. I'm going pitching this to studios and getting financing. I mean, the, the mere notion of, of uh, delightful, a delightful family of witches, uh, you know, uh, that would be a tough sell. There's not the uh, the dramatics that they want involved, uh, in, especially in like a third act in a movie like that. Mm-hmm. So, so I decided I'd just pay for it myself. So I used my own money, and then I ended up taking out a loan to finish it. And the cool thing about that was I got complete control over casting. So, you know, when you're a director, you have control over stuff, but not everything, not every little thing. And in this instance, there's not a single person in the movie who's not exactly who I wanted. You know, I even uh, negotiated the actor's contracts with their agents, uh, which is something that I hadn't done before. So, you know, it allowed me to just trust them because everyone was right for the part. So I did have to micromanage, you know, I could direct kind of almost as a fan and just get sort of blanket group direction. For instance, on day one, uh, I sat everyone down and I said, look, I, I don't care it, how ridiculous a line of dialogue strikes you or preposterous a scenario or whatever. You're not acting in a comedy. You're acting in Sophie's choice. And everyone got it. They got that. And, you know, when it's a bunch of sort of like-minded individuals, you can also speak in shorthand, too, you know. So it transitions from Act 1 to Act 2. And I can say, you know, uh, imagine if Nickelodeon remade Holy Mountain. And, and they get it. You know what I mean? It be a very obscure direction. On a normal set. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but clearly you were working with people who understood the Hodorowsky reference, right? Mm-hmm. So. Exactly. Yep. No, that's wonderful. And and then of course you have these beautiful animations throughout. And I was wondering who the animator was and what the collaboration there was like. Um. So I wrote uh, the sequence, and then an animator is a gentleman named Nabi Bilal in Washington, D.C., who's just incredible. I was introduced to him by my younger brother, actually, who'd worked with him on a few music videos in D.C. My brother had like a sort of hip-hop, jazz, indie label in D.C., and Nabi was just totally down and understood it and, I mean, added to it. There's so many cool little details. Um, so that, that was super fun. That was my first time working with animation that, that extensively in, in any movie, for sure. And that, it, it was a blast. I have to credit Nabi for that. Well, I just wondered also what you're hoping for in terms of for your audience to receive from this film. Do you feel like your message about the centering of witchcraft is what you want your audience to receive from the film or just the warm Nickelodeon meets Holy Mountain vibe or what's your well, biggest hope? I think thematically over, over, you know, big picture wise over the course of the movie, our sort of message about self growth and how that requires self acceptance is sort of the, the overarching thing. And, and, you know, family is what you make it. So, so I'm hoping that certain people see wishes in a different light. And I'm hoping that people that do feel sort of alienated wherever they are, no matter what their situation, feel comforted and sort of inspired to, to, uh, seek, find or, or create a covenant of their own. 
That's wonderful. Well, I want to thank you so much for this interview, and I wish you good luck at Fantasia. Yeah, th- thank you for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate your time as well. Take care. Thank you for listening, and thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of lands stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land, and I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes. We don't want your money. We want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content. And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter where we are at Omnibus Ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch.